Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome into the show. Our producer today is Colin Surrey. I'm Cardinals broadcaster Dan McLaughlin on a Thursday morning here on 101 ESPN. I'll start today with a little baseball this morning. I'll visit with Cardinals shortstop Paul DeYoung after our first timeout. Now, have you been watching the KBO games at all on ESPN? No fans in the stands. Some players, coaches, umpires, they're wearing masks. It looks weird, but yet it's baseball. The way they are showing the game right now is with tighter shots on your TV of the players and the dugouts, and there is a little bit of noise in the game. I'll tell you what, though, it's a good test of what may be coming our way. There were reports yesterday that Major League Baseball could be gearing up for a start date of regular season play in early July. That would mean we would know more definitive answers for a plan for baseball probably in the next week or so to give the players time to get ready. So what have you thought when you're watching these games? Are you out? It's not the same. You don't want to watch him. I'm in. I'm watching it. It's an outlier. It's one year. It's different. But the thing I like, it's a live sporting event that I don't know the conclusion of. As a guy that has done baseball over the past two decades on television, I am truly curious what fans would think once it hits the air. And I do believe we will have baseball. The bottom line, though, is just getting on the field. More on that in a moment. The KBO, the thing I like, they got bat flips. That's part of the culture of their game. The young players will bow in respect to the veterans. And during these games, you can actually hear the chatter on the field. Now, granted, I I don't know any of their language, none of it, but it is interesting to see the reactions and to hear clearly at times the yelling on the field. And you may get that and probably will if and when we start showing sports. Phillies manager Joe Girardi, who played briefly in St. Louis, was asked about that very subject, the silence of the crowd, no crowd, and how that could affect the game. It's going to be like I was playing an American Legion ball again is what it's going to be like. (laughs) Or playing at Northwestern when it was 36 degrees. The only people who were there were in the press box. Um, It's going to be different. I think we're going to have to create some artificial noise, you know, for for a lot of different reasons, you know. just so you can't hear the other team talking, that no. they can't hear you, um, that, you know, because, I, you know, if I'm in a catcher circle, I can probably hear without any artificial noise the manager talking or players talking in the other dugout, the conversation that they were having. So I would have to, you know, I think we have to do some of that. And we have to create an atmosphere that provides some energy for the players. I think that's important. You know, I I think he's right. Players feed off the energy of the crowd, and when you have 40,000 at Bush on a Tuesday night against the Marlins in July, you can even feel it then. This potential scenario without fans is going to be tough. If we as fans want the games, the players are willing to do this, they want their money, this may be the way it's presented. Then let them play music. Home team, play some music. Give it to the pitching staff. Give it to the starter that day pipe in some crowd make it different it can't be just an empty ballpark while the kbo is playing we are waiting here in north america eduardo perez has been calling the games on espn does he believe it can be done with major league baseball i would say there would be a hundred percent it's going to be different no doubt i mean in the kbo there's no spitting on the field or anything like that you're going to have to still keep your distance respect it with your teammates I mean, these guys, even in the locker room, they are masked up. They're making sure that they 
they take care of themselves. They're following the rules. The umpires are masked up. There's many things, but Major League Baseball, in order to get the game back on the field and to entertain the fans, yes, we're doing it with the KBO and we're respecting the game. That's one thing we are doing. But we all want Major League Baseball back. We know that. And um, we want to see the stars, our stars, back on the field. So that's optimistic. I like it. The obstacles, though, to get back on the field, pretty significant. Will teams have the equipment, the testing, the actual tests themselves, medical personnel necessary to do so to allow these guys to do this every single day? Also, and this is a big one, will the Players Association agree to another, let's call it a redo of the current salary structure? One of the most powerful guys in sports, agent in baseball, Scott Boris, appeared on ESPN yesterday. Well, I think we have to set up models as we do in, in medicine, and that is you you can certainly head to spring training. And I think players that I've certainly that I represent have all said they're willing to to look at this for 30 days and, and be isolated and, and, and phase in spring training with, say, pitchers and catchers first. I think one of the things we have to consider, Mike, though, is that we, we need to do this uh, we need to have a little longer spring training because the players have been isolated. This is a very unique setting that they've been in for the last 50 days, and we need a little more conditioning time. We need more time to before we get to the skill part of the game than we have in the past. So it's a very different process. But but I I, I think one thing that's clear is that we've we have involved the the people they're going to have doctors there they're going to have their trainers there uh the isolation aspect i think the players are willing to do to really take every precaution as we test before they go test when they arrive and, and really create an environment that we can after a, a 30 day or so period let everyone know that this this group is healthy uh, we also have an international community that we have to do well in advance because we have to bring them here and, and, and get a look at, at where they're at, and that may be additional time. We have to have isolation spaces for those who test positive, and we also have to have, um, you know, I, I think a, a period of time for those to integrate back in. So it, it's uh, it's going to take a little bit more time, I think, than the norm to, to bring baseball back and get players ready. And then I think during that time, we can decide what the schedule can be, because one thing we're learning about this, the more time we spend studying the virus and collecting the medical information, the more efficient of a schedule I think we can have. And, and we also have the month of October that we can use as a regular season now by the players' agreement. So I, I think we can put together something that can, can really help America. I'll talk to Paul DeYoung in our next segment about what Boris is talking about there, and that's trying to get ready for spring training 2.0. And he brings up some really interesting points about being quarantined now for basically two months and what guys will look like when they come out of that. What I take from this is that because this has been so unusual, we'll have to truly find out where players are in their preparation right away. There will be some that uh, are going to take a little bit longer to get ready in game shape. I don't know if it's going to be a, a youngster or a veteran or who's been working hard, but you better have depth. And I've been saying since this shutdown that if and when the Cardinals come back, They'll be in a better position than most teams in the game because of their pitching depth, and we saw that in spring training. Yesterday on the show, I had Cardinals Hall of Famer Jason Isringhausen. Now, he works with many of the minor leaguers throughout the season and also visits with guys that are rehabbing back from injury. In this case, one of those players, Jordan Hicks, and it's Tommy John. 
and he could be ready to go right in the heart of this season. Well, I mean, I think he's throwing off the mound probably by now. Just, you know, getting that, they call it that bogus stress of throwing down the hill, like being on the mound. And um, the main thing is, is just following the protocol that the doctors and the physical therapists throw out there. Uh, you're not really, when you do the time you have to do the holes in the bones to run that new ligament or tendon through kind of like a figure eight and you're really mainly letting the bone heal more than anything and um, it, you feel good really quick and you just have to be careful and like I said follow the protocol and when my mindset was when they told me that I was good to go that's all I needed to hear they, and then I went as hard as I could as long as I could and I do believe that Jordan's going to be that guy we talked a couple times he's talking about throwing 110 and <laughs> I, just, I just want him to be able to 94 down the zone, and uh, knowing Jordan, he's going to try to throw uh, super hard, so it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, but in my mind, he's young, he's really strong, and he's going to come back and be even better, and, but in Tommy John, the last thing that usually comes is that feel, that, that pinpoint accuracy feel, and it may take him a year or two to get back to being top-notch, but with him being his age and uh, strength. He's going to be just fine. Off to the last dance. The Michael Jordan and Bulls documentary. It's getting massive, massive ratings and numbers. Through the first six episodes, it is average 5.8 million viewers. That's pretty darn good. That's 62% more than ESPN's second most watched documentary from 2012. And that was on Bo Jackson. And that was a lot of fun. Former North Carolina assistant and now their head coach of the Tar Heels, Roy Williams. It's great fun to me. I mean, I'm totally focused watching it because I did live through the, the only thing that all they've showed so far. I felt like I was part of that. I was there. You know, I came to see them play in the finals uh, uh, in the Dream Team. I coached eight college kids against the Dream Team. I went to play golf. Best golf booth <laughs> I've ever had. Me, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Charles Barkley, and John, and John Stockton. They let us play five. So wow. I'm reliving it myself. So it's it's Michael, you're exactly right, and ESPN has to be loving it because their ratings got to be going through the roof. I mean, he's right. The ratings have been amazing. And because of that, ESPN and lack of sports has moved up the premieres of a Bruce Lee documentary, a Lance Armstrong 30 for 30, and a 30 for 30 on the summer of 1998. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire. Ribs and BK asked me about this yesterday. What do I want to see out of the documentary. I'm curious what you want to see as well. It's a great question. Anything behind the scenes, that's a must. And there's got to be some footage that's behind the scenes. But here's what I want to know. I mean, McGuire's already come out. He said he took steroids. I know that story. Sosa's still on the fence if and when he comes out and says, I did it. But I would love to know if baseball had suspicions of drug use in that summer. When did they have those suspicions? Who knew it? And were they prepared for any backlash? There's no doubting it helped bring back the game. No doubting that at all after a work stoppage. I was wrapped up in it, and if you're honest with yourself, you were too in the summer of 98. We all were. Those are some of the questions I want to know more about. On to college football. We are very comfortable that if that if, if it goes that way, um, that we'll be fine. We will be able to play a, a high-quality, full schedule, um, the same number of games as other teams will play. Having said that, I think we all recognize that there there is a significant chance that that may not be possible. That either because states 
or individual colleges and universities take different approaches, you, you can't produce a season where all members um, are participating in Division One football in the same way. Jack Swarbrick, that's the athletic director at Notre Dame. The states of Florida and Georgia right now reopening as cases of the virus are spiking. California and Michigan, for example, they're a lot more conservative in their approach with their state. So you wonder about who can play potentially in the fall. Last week, the Mountain West Commissioner wondered out loud if they could play with only nine of their 12 institution members. So will college football have to be realigned? And that's something you have to consider here. Can you have football if schools aren't reopened for classes for the normal kid that's at school? And I thought these guys were, um, you know, student athletes. It'll take two months to get ready, and you just might see football for college being played after the Super Bowl by the student athletes it's all on the table send me a mic drop on the rhino shield mic drop text into the air comfort service text line at 65780 and coming up we'll visit with this guy and a young can change it with one swing just one baby out of here pull the young home run number 22 three nothing redbirds he knocked out the M in Big Mac land. And there's a souvenir for the M. I'd like to see the authenticator go get that one. Good luck. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN and a chance to catch up with the all-star shortstop of the St. Louis Cardinals and was having just a fabulous and I mean a fabulous spring training, and that's Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. Paul, how you holding up? How you doing? Are you safe? You happy? What's going on with you? Doing well, Danny Mac. Just uh, enjoying this St. Louis spring. Been working out with Colton Wong and playing homemaker here at my apartment, getting everything settled. But you know, staying healthy, staying safe. So that's all I can uh, really ask for. Just uh, trying to stay patient as much as I can. Patience is a key right now. I'm assuming if you're a pro athlete, uh, what's that like day to day for you and and Colton and your teammates? Like everybody else, do you do you get up and watch and read everything you can about the return of sports, or do you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to read and watch. I'm just going to, you know, when they call me, I'll be ready to go. How how do you deal with it day to day? Yeah, um, it's kind of evolved as as more time passed. Uh, I'd say when things first got uh, shut down, I was. A, a lot more curious and, you know, reading and trying to figure out what was going on. And lately uh, I've become more into my own routine and being able to be productive here uh, and just waking up and having my coffee and reading in the morning, like nothing's going wrong. I mean, those little types of moments um, keep me, keep me here and present. So yeah, just, uh, just focusing on myself, trying to try to improve uh, and stay active as much as I can and, and, and really just try to use this time wisely. How do you guys, you know, you mentioned that you, you work out with Colton Wong. How are you guys able to do that with gyms that aren't opened up and then baseball-related activities to stay sharp? How do you guys try to do that? Well, he's got a gym in his basement that uh, we've been using. Works pretty good. He's got, you know, everything you need. Um, but also, uh, you know, Slew's been kind enough to let us on their field. And uh, Darren Hendrickson, um, head coach over there, has been huge for us, so just providing us an opportunity to, to get out in the field. So Colton and I are, are staying active almost like it's a January, December type feel, um, you know, 
three days a week, getting out there on the field, hitting, doing some ground balls, throwing, a little running, all, all that type of thing. And when you do that, are, are there other people that are able to hit you ground balls and do those kind of things and throw BPs or just you two guys working out and trying to do the best you can? Just uh, us two, and, and Darren's been helping us out, uh, the head coach. Um, he comes and throws BP during the season at Bush, so he's been around uh, since the 90s. He's, he's had a good relationship, so and we're fortunate for him to be able to uh, you know, be out there with us and he brings his son every every so often. We get to uh, help him out. Uh, to say he's got a pretty good lefty stroke, good frame. <laughs> he's only a freshman in high school. He's got some time. When you talk to your other teammates or you talk to other players around the league, because it's a, a tight knit unit, what, what's the prevailing feeling like? You know, what, what's it like day to day? The anxiety of wanting to play, not sure if you're going to play, all the things that go into it that we're all dealing with in every walk of life. But what, what's it like from a baseball perspective? I'd say it's uh, everyone's got their own type of approach um, with how they're staying, uh, staying active and ready. And, you know, guys all went to their home cities and especially closing down uh, gyms, you know, complexes and public gyms as well. So everyone's probably uh, getting innovative uh, as far as, you know, what they're doing to stay ready. I know um, certain guys are thinking about coming to uh, St. Louis. So, um, you know, there's always pros and cons that got to be weighed and, um, but the access to this field here is one of the reasons why I wanted to come to St. Louis. Um, you know, I don't know where we'll start spring, but I just know that I can be productive here. So, you know, everyone's kind of in their own boat as far as how they want to lead themselves through this. Have you talked to Schilte much? Is it daily, weekly? What What's it like with Mike Schilt? Probably about weekly. I actually just got off the phone with him before we talked. Um, just trying to come up with, with our plan, we're going to do some more, you know, small group Zoom stuff starting soon just to kind of get talking about the game again and, you know, heard exactly what everyone else has heard about a optimistic June uh, spring training into a early July uh, season in our home cities. That's, you know, what I've heard, but I don't know if any negotiations have, have taken place. So it still could be in the idea phase. Your spring training, Paul, that's one of the, the biggest disappointments I have of, of not seeing this season. Um, your spring training was just fabulous. What, what were some of the things that you were doing differently in spring, maybe as opposed to the end of last year, to get you to a different level? Well, I'd say uh, I definitely widened out my stance and got more in my legs uh, like I was in 2017 when I hit for higher average with the power. I was just a little bit more balanced and, and towards the, you know, end of last year and middle of last year I was pretty vertical and uh you know it was tough on me I was moving my head pretty far every time I wanted to swing so really just got back in my legs physically and then from the mental standpoint um really locked in my routine as far as working with Jeff in the in the cage and then you know my mental routine um a lot of it through uh help with uh Brian Alazawi with uh, the the mental strength performance side, um, the former Navy SEAL we always have around, uh, or new new this year. But you know, just the fearless type attitude that I would approach, um, especially with the anxiety I used to feel as far as you know wanting to perform and get results versus you know being out there and fearless and present and you know living with the results because I know I prepared so. It was really just a huge attitude shift for me and, um, you know, small sample size, but I, I definitely felt 
like a different player out there and a more improved player. When people are listening to this and Paul DeYoung, our guest, the all-star shortstop, they understand that you're a cerebral player. You're a smart player. You look at video. You are into the analytics. Then you're on the mental side. How do you balance all that, Paul, to make sure you don't go too much one way or the other and you kind of stay present and in the moment? That's a tough thing to do. Well, I'd say it's trial and error, Dan. I mean, you know, when I first got into the league in 17, you know, it's just like a wide-eyed rookie just going out there and playing every day, and there was a natural presence to that. And then, you know, as time went on, um, you know, I wanted to recreate myself out there versus just letting myself be out there. And so, you know, last year was my full 162, being able to play from start to finish without injury or, you know, being called up. So it was a huge learning experience for me to have a first two good months and the reason why I became an all-star in the first place versus, you know, sustaining that throughout the whole season. So I learned a lot last year from how to deal with my physical workload. And I felt like physically I was good. I had a great routine. I played all those games, stayed healthy, um, those types of things. But mentally I just was too hard and expectations wise results based thinking that, you know, just let at bats slip away after slip away and, you know, the rest is in the stats forever. But, you know, this spring I felt like I really approached things differently and, and for that reason I'm I'm feeling great about just sitting here right now because I know once we start this all over again I I'll just go back to you know, to slowing everything down, getting back into my routine. Um I think we all miss that and and we're all itching for that to get back. For position players, a lot of the talk has been about pitchers, you know, and trying to get them back ramped up and built up. But for position mm-hmm. players, how long do you think it takes in a, a shortened spring training potentially to, to get ready to play? I don't know. I mean, we need to get our legs in shape. We need to get our arms in shape, our bodies to be playing every day. So I'd say at least 10, 15 games for me would be, um, you know, kind of what I'm thinking just to, you know, I don't know how, however many we played about 15 before um, they suspended the spring training. And I felt pretty ready after that. And so, you know, I don't think we, we should take this lightly, this spring training. I think we have all gone through a lot mentally throughout this whole process. So once we start things again, I really think we need to, you know, just slow it down as best we can to, you know, just to keep our, our minds at ease versus this, you know, sprint mentality. Baseball has always been the marathon. So, you know, we can't start treating it like a sprint now, even, even though all this has happened. Yeah. It's an interesting point that you bring up. And I've tried to make that point for position players. You guys are on your feet a ton and it's a summer months and all of a sudden you got to ramp it up and get back going. (laughs) Can you do anything to to try to get ready Mm -hmm. to stay on your feet as much as you're going to have to do? (laughs) It's funny that you say that. I just, in my, daily life i just try to stand up (laughs) i've been standing up more i feel like and with those thoughts in mind because i know uh just being on your feet is is a whole new set you can't first day of spring training no matter what you did all spring or all all off season you're going to be sore just from the activity so you know we all need that adjustment period for our bodies you know, a lot of people know you're a well-educated guy in history and medicine and, and looking at different things to, to help society. I'm just curious from your personal perspective, not even as a baseball player, but just as you watch what's happening in our world, just your thoughts on, on how to deal with this because you are a bright guy that has a lot yeah. of thoughts on these things. What, what do you think? I think we just need a, a revolutionary new way to, to look at an individual. I think 
Um, medicine has become a little bit too much uh, whitewashing and, and lumping in general groups together. And I think every individual has their own set of circumstances that need to be understood. And so, you know, for looking at diseases and, you know, all these other things, um, you know, emotional triggers, stress, diet, environment, all those types of things factor in. And so, you know, when uh, thinking about this, you this disease going in the pandemic, um, you really got to think about what your own life looks like and how you're treating your own body and how you're treating your mind and, you know, the things you're doing actively every day. Um, so really it becomes a how to stay healthy question. And, um, you know, any generally healthy person knows that they have a good routine. They have a good diet. They have a good, um, you know, active schedule and so if you're doing all those things that and like most people are i think you have nothing to worry about and we should you know just continue to stress our own health be your own doctor and you know be smart with with your choices and and so all those things uh, if you can do all those things um i feel fearless enough to be able to to live this life and go outside and not worry about um you know those types of things outside of baseball you got time on your hands like everybody else what keeps you busy Oh, just been, um, you know, reading a little bit, uh, trying to design a, a cabin for up in the woods. So I've been thinking about some <laughs> architecture ideas and trying to make everything custom. So I don't want to, I want to do it as much by myself as I can before I talk to a builder. Um, but yeah, just, uh, like playing homemaker, finally bought some furniture here for St. Louis. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable at home training, being outside, taking walks through Forest Park. So doing whatever I can to stand my feet. Good for you, Paul. And I'll wrap it up with this, and I really appreciate your time. We, we all miss sports, whether you're a fan, you're a broadcaster, or you're an all-star shortstop. What do you miss most about not having the chance to play baseball? What is it for Paul DeYoung? Oh, it's it's absolutely the camaraderie with the guys, um, traveling on flights, uh, you know, all those little moments, uh, show dinners, as we call them. Um, you know, those types of things are, are what we'll always remember. And, uh, you know, this, uh, the routine aspect of it, everyone loves the surprise and the drama of, of baseball because you never know what the game will bring today. And so, you know, that kind of mystery and that everyday grind, like, like we feel more connected to the people when we're playing and, and working because, you know, we're out there every day and, you know, a lot of other people, blue collar workers, same type of mentality. So, you know, we embrace that type of, feeling and when we're just sitting here waiting it can be uh can be a little traumatic so you know i think we all just miss uh, being around each other and, and doing what we all know how to do every day well, i miss seeing you miss watching you play talking to you but uh, hopefully we'll have baseball soon enough i can't thank you enough for your time today paulie and uh get healthy but make sure you stay healthy get back on the field and uh, i know everybody's looking forward to that thanks so much Thanks for having me, Danny. Good to hear from you, and you know, we'll talk soon. You got it. That's the all-star shortstop of the Cardinals, Paul DeYoung on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Blues have the puck. Thomas off the wall. Shoots, and it's in. Let's they go. score! It's the St. Louisan, Pat Maroon. Bring out the Zamboni. Pat Maroon just put the city on his shoulders and he sends him to the conference finals. A 2-1 win in double overtime over the Dallas Stars. It was a year ago Pat Maroon became a hometown hero. 
you heard me on with uh, Randy and Michelle, we were talking about that photo that's got Pat Maroon and Ben Bishop as they shake hands, the photo with the St. Louis flag. And uh, Scott Rovac, who is a blues photographer, tells me that photo was taken by Jeff Curry with USA Today. It's just an awesome photo because it really is a culmination of what was happening with hockey in St. Louis. Two of the best to come out of this town, Pat Maroon and also a guy that was just incredible in that series, St. Louis native Ben Bishop. We have a ton of texts coming in. The Air Comfort Service text line, Rhino Shield mic drop. Colin Surrey is our producer today, and let's try to jump into these and make sure we get through as many as we can. And if not, I'll get back to them on Friday, also on Monday from the 314. Love the DeYoung interview. Where does he hit in the Cardinals lineup? It's a great question. I, I talked to Mike Schilt. We have these Zoom calls on Wednesdays for season ticket holders, top sponsors of the St. Louis Cardinals. Mike was with me, oh, I guess it was two weeks ago. And I said, what do you miss about baseball? And he said, man, I miss opening day. He said, that's when it really hit me. And so I played the game out in my mind. And I said, oh. I said, well, I hope you won. And he said, yeah, we won. Jack Flaherty was really good. And we won the game, and we had a great dinner that night because we had an off day, and the team was together. And I said, well, tell me about your lineup. What did it look like? And he said, Cold Wong at the top. And I said, you want to go any further? And he said, no. And I said, well, I like Wong at the top because he had a great spring training. And so to your question about DeYoung, I'm thinking he bats cleanup behind Goldschmidt. And I think that would happen if and when we come back. The 30 home runs a year ago. Obviously, the the very slow second half, but the outstanding first half. And as he just said, you know, hey, I've made my adjustments. And folks, if you didn't see it, his spring training was awesome. I mean, he was awesome. And there weren't people getting him out. He was hitting for power. He was spraying the ball all over the place. So I put DeYoung as my cleanup hitter. From the 573, loved hearing from Paul E.D. He makes a great point about being on his feet. What else are players doing? Great question. Um, players like Paul DeYoung and Colton Wong, some of them have workout facilities in their basements. And let's face it, these are guys that have made a lot of money, so they're going to have a chance to do that with their home base. And that's one of the reasons that Wong came to St. Louis. If and when they open up the facility down at Bush Stadium, he'd be able to go down there, work out, get on the field, do the necessary things that are a part of it. And for Paulie D, he's working out with him. But this is interesting. One of the things that they're doing, some of the position players, is that they actually go on walks. So they do that just to you know, get some fresh air, get out of the house. But also, they wear, when they walk, they put weights around their waist. And so they realize that when they come back, um, you know, they're going to be on their feet nonstop. And as Paul said, he's going to need 10 to 15 games maybe to ramp it back up. And I I think that's legitimate. It's not going to be as cut and dry as people saying, well, we have spring training 2.0 get on the field, get 10 games going, 15 games going, and if you have to expand the rosters with your starters because they're only going to go three innings, so be it. I don't see it that way because this is their livelihood. It's not just this year. It's beyond, and you don't want to see people get hurt. From the 314, I get goosebumps every time I hear the Maroon Goal replay. I do too. Damn, I miss hockey. Let's go Blues. Yes, I do too. From the 636, all-time favorite people to interview. Ooh, that's a good one. 
Uh, I'd say Tim McCarver's right there. Uh, I got to know Tim, obviously, is becoming my broadcast partner. Knew a little bit with uh, dealing with him on some of the national games, and he'd come on, and we would have to promote that game. But it was really short. And so there have been times I've been able to sit him down and talk about the 1960s teams, 64, obviously with a great comeback and what they did to get into postseason play, 67, 68. Bob Gibson is one of my all-time favorite people to visit with. In hockey, I love talking to Chris Pronger and Al McGinnis. Um, they were great to deal with. Grant Fear was interesting to deal with at times. Very short answers, but well thought out and fun to listen to. I, I thought he was just an incredible guy. Danny Mack from the 636, no baseball. So what have you picked up during the quarantine? What are you doing? What are your hobbies? Well, I picked up a dog. I got Doug the dog. So now I have three dogs. I have a three-legged dog. That's Junior. I've got uh, Hank. Okay. He's a big old dog. He's getting old, though. And then I got uh, uh, Doug the the dog. He's my new one. He's a puppy. I also have a cat. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's been great. From the 573, I've liked watching the KBO. It has really come a long way since I lived over there. It was pretty good baseball, too. Yeah, I was asking about that earlier if you're watching that. And the thing I noticed, I I talked about it in the opening segment, was the bat flips. And if guys did that here, they'd probably take one in their ear, even though that's kind of lessening a little bit. It's becoming more accepted in the game. The veterans get a lot of respect from the younger players. So you'll see guys bow to them, tip their cap, take off the cap, and kind of throw it towards them. Not throw it, but at least motion towards them. Um, And the offense in the KBO used to be like just nonstop. It exploded everywhere. And they did a thing with the ball last year to try to curtail that. But we've seen pretty pretty good uh, offense so far. Let's see. This is from the 217. 217, Colin, that's got to be what? Champagne? It's up think? there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How will the minors look in this context and what impact on the major league call-ups? I'm not sure uh, we're going to have minor league baseball this year, and I hate saying that because I love minor league baseball. I watch a lot of minor league baseball, but at this point, we just don't know if we're going to have it. I think the, the main thing that we're talking about now is just get the major professional sports on the field with or without crowds, get them on TV, try to generate some revenue. The players can make some money. However, there were a couple of guys that would have been in the minor leagues this year, potentially, not sure. Maybe a Daniel Ponce de Leon, maybe an Austin Gomber, uh, maybe a Dylan Carlson. Those are just three off the top of my head. But what if we come back and you have a shortened spring? And we're talking about position players. They're going to need time. We know the hitters, they need time. Uh, we know the, the pitchers are going to take time to get to get ready. So you better expand the rosters. It's not going to be just a 26-man roster. So to me, those guys come. You know, Dylan Carlson, Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Junior Fernandez, all those guys, they start coming, and they're going to be part of it. Now, what does a roster look like? 30, 35? Do you include the entire 40-man? And then as it pertains to minor league baseball, do you – Set them up, if you can, in your spring training facilities. Again, you're going to have to have testing. Again, you're going to have to quarantine, guys. It's very, very complicated, and the trickle-down effect of what's happening in sports is so much more than just, hey, I miss it and I want to see it. It's about those minor league guys, too. I mean, it's it's very, very hard to figure out. Uh, let's see. Danny Mack, what are you going to do with the show if baseball comes back? 
Well, you're stuck with me. Is that good? I think it is. I love doing radio. Radio's fun. It's freewheeling. I get my opinions out. I like it. Colin, well, I mean, I like it. For God's I love sakes, it too. man. I, I've loved having you. And by the way, you were yeah. correct on the 217. Those are our great listeners coming from the Springfield, Quincy, Urbana, Champaign area. Richfield, maybe too. Exactly. So we appreciate all of them chiming in and getting involved in the show. Okay. Uh, this is the final one. Um, Danny Mack, 101 should air some of the Korean baseball. What do you think? Well, uh, that'd be kind of tough. Now, we may have to be doing games from a studio anyway, but trying to get the names down, trying to figure out how to create a little bit of sound of noise, like crowd, whatever, that might be a little bit tough. Um, I doubt that's going to happen. Maybe we should recreate some games. That'd be kind of fun. That's what they used to do back in the day. You know, I mean, the little ticker and then, and the pitch is swung on and a ground ball to the second baseman. The second baseman makes the play as he gloves it, moves to his right and throws to first for the out. And that was a beauty. I mean, you could just make it up, right? Dan, we know you're great at impressions. We need to know whose impression that was right there. That was just the old time broadcaster. Oh, okay. Generic. Yeah, that was totally generic. I mean... Welcome to baseball, everyone. We're going to have a beautiful evening. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. With a voice like that, there's no way you weren't getting a job in the 40s. That was old school, baby. I mean, you got to be old school. Air Comfort Service text line, Rhino Shield, mic drop. If you want to do that, even as we head to break, I'll get to those tomorrow, okay? Now, I only have an hour, so I try to rip through these things. Colin, great job. Ribs, BK, crossover next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. One more uh, text message here on the Air Comfort Service text line. Hey, Danny Mac, your old-time broadcaster voice sounds a whole lot like the Ed Sullivan show from your old days. Well, I never was like on the Ed Sullivan show, but welcome <laughs> BK and welcome Jamie Rivers. Ground ball to second. I don't know. Maybe a little bit of that. I, I, I don't remember the Ed Sullivan show. I've always seen the intro when they did the Beatles, you know, and now the Beatles, you know, I, that's <laughs> so no, I'm, I'm not going to recreate the KBO on, on 101 ESPN unless there's a sponsor out there that wants to pay me to do it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'll there's change always my a tune. price. Tag. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. So we were talking off the air, um, getting a lot of texts about the Pat Maroon goal from it was this date last year. Is it the biggest goal in Blues history? And I think it is. You agree? Oh, yeah, 100%. And the, the reason I think it's the biggest goal in Blues history, and there's a lot of great goals over the years, and I know people are going to be like, what about this one? What about the? Okay, slow down. Hear me out here. The outcome score that goal. If they don't advance past Dallas, it doesn't really matter. You right. know what I'm saying? If oh, Pat Maroon sure. scores that goal to that point, and then they lose in the Western Conference Final, it's kind of sort of remembered. So it's because they won the Cup is why it is. Because if you compare it to like Doug Wickenheiser in the Monday Night Miracle, that proves your point. You know, they win game six, but then what happened? Lost game seven. Yeah. Still a great goal, but yet it's not the goal that it could have been if you win the Cup. It's kind of like David Freeze in baseball. If David Freeze has that game six and you lose game seven, it was great. It was an unbelievable night in St. Louis, but it doesn't have the importance that it carries today. I would also throw in the the um, well. I think you got to say the Brett Hall, even though it's not a significant goal in terms of what it meant for the team, but eighty six goals. Oh yeah. So his eighty six yeah. is big, and then Pierre Turgeon, the goal against Phoenix. You were on that team. 
Yeah, that was an incredible series. I mean, you, you know, you were part of it too, yeah. Danny, and we, you know, we're down three to one in the series. We battled back, and I'll give you the short version of it. I'm sure you've heard this tale before, but for our new friend BK, <laughs> he he may not have heard this that uh, we we're in overtime here in St. Louis in Game Six, and Grant Fuhrer, who was a very quiet guy, stands up in the room and he says, "Hey, guys." You go get me a goal, and I promise you they won't score in Game 7. How awesome is that? And then we go on to win in double it. overtime, one nothing in Game 7. It's incredible. incredible. BK, what do you have coming up? So today we're going to be joined by Rex Hudler, one of my favorites uh-huh. uh, in the broadcasting industry. He's going to come up uh, at noon. We will talk with him about what he's been up to during the quarantine. I I can't imagine a household that's been more wild during this than the Rex Hudler household. you, you so. got to ask him, as uh, he's talking to you, does he have a baseball in his hand? Because when he broadcasts with the Kansas City Royals, and he was a longtime broadcaster with the uh, Angels, he flips a ball the entire game. Mm-hmm. Okay, This guy is off the charts with energy, okay? I mean, whoever the most energetic hockey player is, I don't care who it is. It doesn't match up to Rex Hudler, okay? Who is a fan favorite here in town, and I was watching uh, Fernando Valenzuela's uh, no-hitter against the Cardinals the other day on MLB Network. In right field was Rex Hudler. And I was talking with a friend of mine, we were saying, God almighty, did you look at that lineup they're putting out there for the Cardinals? And I go, yeah, the only reason to watch is to see if Rex Hudler was going to dive in the stands. <laughs> I mean, that was it. That was baseball in 1990 in St. Louis. So uh, Rex is a great guy. I think you'll really enjoy it. He's incredible. I, I was at the the flagship for the Royals in Kansas City whenever I was out there. And so we got to talk with Rex each and every week. And he's he's unforgettable you got denny matthews you got ryan lefevre our friend joel goldberg used Mm -hmm. to be of uh the cardinal broadcast now in kansas city and then rex hudler so looking forward to it yeah we're looking forward to it as well ribs and bk the crossover they're coming up next on 101 espn you have been listening to the tv voice of the st louis cardinals scoops with danny mack on 101 espn